Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We're just going to spend some time reading God's word now, but before we do, let me pray. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. There is nowhere else we can hear these words. Please give us ears ready to listen and hearts and minds ready to be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've got two readings. The first one is from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 4. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And the second reading is from John 10. Verses 1 to 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow them because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thanks for reading, Nicole, and good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, If you haven't met me, I'm Simon. People call me Jacko, um, lead pastor here, one of the elders. Uh, It's nice to see you all this morning. We are, um, it's good to be back. This is one of my happy places um, up here teaching God's Word. Um, it's good to be here. I was away last weekend, many of you know, visiting my uncle who's really unwell in regional Victoria. Um, thank you for those who've been praying for him and for me and my family as we um, care for him and work things out. Uh, but it's, it's good to be here. Um, before we get into God's Word, just two things. Uh, one uh, thing to say is we are, you know, we believe that we are a not just a random collection of people that gather in this place. We believe that we are a community brought together by God in the power of his spirit, uh, that we you know, somehow, shape or form, operate a bit like a family, sometimes a dysfunctional family, um, but we get along either way. And as a result of that, we want to care for each other and um, not just have people kind of drift in and drift out, sort of unrecognised. And uh, so I just wanted to say today... Um, a dear sister who's been with us for a little while, um, but I feel like, I don't know about you, but it's made an impression on my heart, Mercy, who will sheepishly put her hand in the air so we can all look at her. There you go. Um, sorry about that. Um, I did offer for Mercy to come up the front, and we could, you know, but she was like, no, thank you, that's fine. Um, just wanted to acknowledge that uh, Mercy um, been with us for a while. Mercy, I've really appreciated your um, smile 
uh, your encouraging demeanor, um, your heart for Je- like your love for Jesus and his people. And um, even though it's only been a short time, I feel like it's been a good time. I hope you agree. Um, and uh, you are moving. Uh, uh, Mercy's bought, uh, bought a house up in Mount Barker. Um, it's, Mount Barker's a long way from North Adelaide. Um, and uh, Mercy's kind of made the call to, as she moves into Mount Barker, to find a community to worship with closer to home, which as much as we're going to miss you when, like, I don't know, we'd pay for Ubers to get you down and back, um, I think it's a good call to sort of stay local, and uh, we do pray that you find a new family. Um, don't be a stranger. Um, be around. Come and visit us, um, or we'll find you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, maybe um, after the gathering today, or if you know, down at the picnic, just um, get around her and get around Mercy and thank her and, and pray for her perhaps as well. Um, I'll pray in a minute, but uh, as I always do, I want you to turn to the person next to you before we get into God's Word this morning, and I want you to share with the person next to you, um, you may not have one actually, but like, what's your favourite film? What's your favourite movie? Um, big question, I know, could take us all morning to work this one out, but uh, have a crack, turn to the person next to you, what's your favourite movie, or what's one of your favourite movies? That could be a bit easier. Um, I'll give you 38 seconds to... Five, four, three, two, one. All right. Too many, too many favourite movies, clearly. Too many good movies out there. Well, uh, I won't ask for, like, you know, your favourites. Maybe we can keep chatting about favourite films over the picnic this afternoon. But how about I pray as we come to God's Word this morning? Father, we come again asking for your help. Lord, we have many passions in life, but we're often lacking in zeal for godliness. So, Father, forgive our complacency, our love of cheap grace, and have mercy on us, your sheep. And, Father, this morning, seek and save even those that are lost among us today. Gather in your arms those that are hurting. Call us by name, good shepherd. And give us ears that we may come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you one of my favourite movies. And it's probably not the one that you have in mind. Yes, I do like the standard kind of Christian movies, Lord of the Rings, Chariots of Fire, and of course, Princess Bride. Um, It's true. But right up there among my favourite movies in my book, and you're thinking, what is it, Jacko? What's your favourite movie? What's one of your favourite movies? The movie is Babe. I love the movie Babe. It's a great movie. It's not based on a true story, as far as I know, um, since it's all about talking animals and that sort of stuff. But it's a story about a pig who thinks he's a sheepdog. Uh, That's the premise. It's pretty old now, so I'm going to give away the plot, right? If you haven't watched it already, too bad. Um, But uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but that's basically it. You have animals that talk to each other, and there's a pig who thinks he's a sheepdog, and he learns the the secret of herding sheep and enters into this sheep herding contest in Australia. And all the other dogs compete with him, and of course, the pig wins. And the old guy at the end says, that'll do, pig. Right? It's, it's great. Okay? It's really great. It's great. Talking animals. They're cute. Everyone loves talking animals. Um, you could think, right, that the story that Babe, this pig who wants to be a sheepdog, is a story about, you know, this pig who's not content with their life and they want to rise up and be something different. Maybe you could think of it that way. But more than that, I actually think it's a film about, it's a story about the power of optimism and the power of kindness. Sort of a reverse animal farm, if you had to read Animal Farm when you were at school. Um, In what it could look like, you know, rather than an animal kind of wanting dominion over others, here's an animal who's just unrelentingly optimistic and innocent and kind. That's Babe, that's the pig. And if you've seen the movie, you know how he is successful. He's successful at being a sheepdog pig. Why? Because he knows the sheep. He speaks to the sheep, he deals gently with the sheep, and so when I watch it, 
I think it's like a visual illustration of John chapter 10. Yeah? This is how pastors think, right? We're always thinking, how does this fit with the Bible? Lots of stuff. It's hard to understand. We're coming to John chapter 10. We're coming to the next statement, the I am statement in the Gospel of John. I am the gate. Um, It's hard for us, I think, to understand personally some of what Jesus is speaking about in this particular part of his word because most of us don't have anything to do with sheep. Anyone got a sheep running around in their backyard? Probably not. But but we know a little bit, right? We've seen movies, we've read books, we've seen pictures. Um, We can understand, right, the basic metaphor. And everyone in ancient Israel understood the special bond that there ought to be between the sheep and the shepherd. That's why the imagery of sheep and shepherds is all the way through the Old Testament. It's everywhere. And this is why Jesus uses it here to depict his unique and special relationship between himself and his people. Those that ought to be loyal to him and listen to him and those that Jesus has been given and entrusted to care for, provide for and protect. Really quickly, a lot of, we're going to get to this, a lot of people, commentators struggle with the placement of John chapter 10 in the sort of the, the flow of the Bible, the flow of John's gospel. I'm wondering, you know, we finished just, we just finished with this massive feast of tabernacles and related scenes, a man born blind who then has his sight restored and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get these two sort of amen, amen statements. Um, that's verse 1, truly, truly. Again, verse 7, truly, truly. And they think maybe this is out of place. Like maybe things have been rearranged. Um, it's true, like we don't know exactly when Jesus gave these particular speeches about I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. There's no time stamp to tell us if this immediately happened after he restored the sight of the blind guy. That all shouldn't undermine the truth of God's word. But if we pay attention, we ought to recognize that chapter 10 really nicely comes on the heels of chapter 9 for very good reason. Think of what we've seen even in our series over the last few weeks um, through John's gospel. A few chapters ago, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He sort of said, you want manna from heaven? You want to be fed like the 5,000 in that miraculous event? You want food? Then come to me. He says, I'm the true manna. I'm the lasting food. I am the bread of life. And then transitioning to that scene, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's as Jesus is saying, you want burning torches like they had at the Feast of Tabernacles? You want a pillar of fire like God revealed in the desert during the Exodus? Then come to me. I'm the light of the world. I will make you shine like stars in the heavens and I will lead you out of darkness. It's surely no coincidence then that hot off the heels of announcing he is the light of the world, we see what? In chapter 9, this miracle of a man who was born blind, by God's grace, his sight is restored. He gives light to the man who was born in darkness. He is the light of the world. But as we can see, right, um, when he does this, people don't like what he's doing. There's a particular group who don't like what he's doing. The Pharisees don't like what he's doing. Um, And so like any good Messiah, when a Messiah upsets people, what does the Messiah do? Makes them even more upset. That's pretty much what he does. And right at the end of chapter 9, we read these words, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, if you knew you were helpless, you could get help. So long as you think you can see without me, you remain blind. And then we come to chapter 10. And that he might explain now a figure of speech, what it is, not so much with sight and blindness, but now with ears to hear and follow Jesus. He's restored sight, and now the focus of chapter 10 actually is about hearing and following. And so John says in verse 6 of chapter 10, this, Jesus uses a figure of speech, paroimia. It can mean parable or proverb or simile, an allegory, a fable, translated here a figure of speech. What it means is Jesus is giving an analogy between a shepherd and his sheep, between Jesus and his followers. 
And as is often the case, right, when Jesus tries to give a figure of speech to those who are listening, the people often respond and go, huh? What? What are you talking about? Like, we think, parable, we think of parables, right? Jesus, he was a master storyteller, and he could give parables, and everyone would understand it because he was such a master storyteller. No, when you read the Gospels, right, after almost every parable Jesus says, all the people kind of go, we don't get it. We don't get it. And then Jesus goes and privately explains it, right? Same here with this figure of speech, right? Verse 6, they don't understand what he's saying. So in response to this, Jesus utters two I am statements. Two I am statements. Verse 7, I am the gate for the sheep. And then as we'll see next week in verse 11, or it's implied in these first 10 verses, I am the good shepherd. These two I am statements are meant to unpack and help them, and by extension us, understand this figure of speech that they don't really understand. But we need to understand, right? It's not a precise one-to-one explanation, right? So when Jesus tells the story, he does, like he does with parables, it isn't like everything in the story kind of directly corresponds with something in, like something else. But often he's using similes and metaphors with a central point that he's trying to communicate. And so, when he begins in verse 7, chapter 10, truly, truly, he's explaining what this little parable means. But please don't over-interpret it, um, otherwise we're bound to get confused. Because in the first story, Jesus is a shepherd, and yet in the explanation, he's a gate, right? And then he's a, also a shepherd, Jesus is the opposite of thieves and robbers in the story, but then verse 12, we have hired hands, so then we have wolves. So if we press the story too far, we have to figure out how can Jesus, he's the shepherd, but he's the gate. And some people have gone to lengths to say, right, well, sometimes shepherds would like lay down in front of the gap in the wall. They actually were kind of gates that would kind of move. Basically, time out, time out. Like, that's not how we're supposed to think. It's better to simply understand these two I am statements as a variation on the same theme, same kind of idea. He's speaking about something they would understand, the life of sheep. So let's look at this figure of speech. Let's look at the I am statement, I am the gate, today, um, with two distinct yet overlapping analogies. That's what we're going to do. First, Jesus is the shepherd for the sheep. And second, Jesus is the gate for the sheep. If you're a note taker, there's your two big points. Jesus, firstly, as a shepherd for the sheep. This is very clear, right? He compares himself to a shepherd. This is one of the most familiar images in the Old Testament and throughout the ancient world. Shepherding would have been familiar to all of Jesus' listeners. Now, I don't know about you when I think about shepherds and particularly shepherds from a biblical point of view. I sort of... I think we often have like a really idyllic picture of what it might have been, you know, some faraway hills, you know, mist coming down those hills, um, sheep kind of roaming beautifully, white roaming around, and then this young shepherd with a stick looking poetically out into the distance, you know, that sort of view of shepherds. Probably much more mundane and less idyllic than that in terms of day-to-day Shepherding. Most families would have had like a sheep pen that adjoined their house. They probably would have shared that pen with other families. Uh, They probably would have had sheep that didn't just belong to them, like a whole collection of different sheep in that pen from different families. So much so that the owner of those sheep, the sheep would know the voice, right, of their owner and so come to them from amongst all the sheep. The sheep would know their master to whom they would belong. Uh, There would have been a stone wall sort of topped with briars in the pen. The pen typically would have had a gate guarded by a hired gatekeeper. And then there would have been a shepherd in charge of the flock. So there's a shepherd over the flock, perhaps a shepherd of individual sheep or perhaps a family. A group of families kind of come together and say, we're going to hire this one shepherd to oversee our sheep. There's a gatekeeper, someone who watches the sheep overnight, and there's a shepherd to tend the flock. That's the picture, right? Now, you can understand, right? Anyone who climbs over the fence into this sheep pen using, without using the gate is a thief or a robber, right? As Jesus kind of says. Um, anyone locked themselves out of their house before? Anyone locked themselves? Yeah, I've, I have a habit of doing that. Just take the wrong keys. 
and come home and I'm, got to, I'm like, oh, how are we going to do this, right? And it's, you know, like, and I kind of, I, I, I'm there, I'm frustrated, I'm like, I'm hoping one of the kids have left a door open. I'm hoping they've like a, a window is slightly up so I can do it. But like, either way, right, I'm now kind of, it's not a normal way to enter your house by kind of climbing up onto the roof and kind of accessing doors. People, if they saw me, even though I'm the owner of the house, they would probably go, that doesn't look right, yeah? Same here. You have a fence, you have a door, and the sheep will go in and out of that door, but those who climb over the fence, they are thieves and robbers. The sheep enters, enter by the gate, the gatekeeper lets them in, he calls the sheep by name, he leads them out, because they know his voice. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. That's the basic story. And at least it seems basic, right? But Jesus is saying an awful lot in this passage. He's saying, first of all, some really unflattering comments about his opponents. By implication, he's saying, my opponents are sheep hustlers who sneak in over the fence and steal the sheep. In other words, they're false shepherds. That's so why we had Jeremiah 23 read out. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I'll place shepherds over them who attend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the greatest blessings that God could bestow on his people was to have faithful shepherds, good shepherds, those who at the heart of what they did had the welfare of the flock in mind. Not their own comfort, but shepherds who were courageous, who were compassionate, who were gauntless. And one of the worst things that could be said about any of Israel's princes or kings or prophets was that they were false shepherds, that they cared only about their own safety, gorged upon their own flocks, they would fleece the flocks for their own prosperity. Jesus here compares many of the Jewish leaders of his day to strangers and thieves sneaking in. They were not good for the sheep. They led people astray, teaching what was false. And he also says, you must be on guard against sheep rustlers who would injure you with fine-sounding words or lure you with attractive calls, but in the end will only turn your attention away from me. He's talking about false teachers. And like in our day, we also need to be on guard against false teachers. False teachers... Don't come in, right, and announce, I'm a false teacher. You know, buy my book. Come to my conferences. That would be easy. No, they come in, these, as these men did, looking very impressive. They have a following. They have credentials. They say many fine-sounding things, and perhaps they can draw a crowd. Maybe they have big churches, or maybe they write books and things like that. Maybe they have degrees. None of that matters unless they truly speak of Jesus. Now, for many of us, right, if you're discerning, perhaps you think, that's good, that's right. I know there are bad books out there, bad stuff. But we're City Light, right? We're Acts 29. We're Reformed theologians, for crying out loud. We don't have bad books. We don't listen to bad people. But let's be honest, thieves and robbers are not only false teachers. Thieves and robbers can be anyone or anything that takes your attention away from Jesus. Anyone or anything that turns your attention away from Christ. So even if you fancy yourself as quite a student of the Bible, quite astute theologically, discerning, is there anything in your life that is leading you away from Jesus? Perhaps good things. Fun things like sports. That maybe take over and dictate what you do on Sundays. Perhaps it's simply the prosperity that so many of us enjoy in this country and this city. Remember what Jesus said about the seed growing among the thorns? 
It's, it's the worries of the world that choked it. And it's beginning to grow. God is beginning to do something in your life. You know, the, you heard that sermon, you read that part of the Bible, you went to that conference, and it seemed like God had kind of got a hold of you and he'd gripped you. You were really getting serious about the Lord Jesus. And then you remember, oh, that's right, that's right. Um, I've got some cars that I've got to deal with. I've got a mortgage that I've got to pay. I've got a report to write. And I've got that holiday home that needs some attention. All these things, right, can be really good blessings from God. I'm not denying that. But they lead us away from Jesus until they choke out the work of the Word in your life. Jesus makes some really unflattering comments here about these sheep stealers. But he also has something to say, not just about the false shepherds, not just about these false teachers, but he has some things to say about the sheep. And that's you. I don't know if you like being called a sheep. Most of us probably don't find that particularly flattering. I don't like being called a sheep, but he's got something to say about us, the sheep of his flock. There is this assumed intimacy, right, between the sheep and the shepherd, that the sheep trust the shepherd, they listen to the shepherd. This is where we have to get out of our minds, out of our pictures, the, the Western idea of how you kind of tend sheep. And again, you, know, you think if you've seen the movie Babe, right, it's about a pig that thinks he's a sheepdog because there, the movie's made here in Australia. Here in Australia, right, you tend sheep um, by having dogs, right? You have dogs who bark and yelp and snap and jump onto the sheep and you know, tell them where to go and corral them into the pen to keep them into safety. The shepherd uses not a well-trained sheepdog here to corral the sheep and move them where he needs them to go. But in the Mediterranean world, in the first century, they typically just called for the sheep. Just called. There's evidence, actually, very Australian, that some of the sheep, the shepherds back in this day, had nicknames for their sheep. Don't know what they were. There's some evidence to say, call out the nickname, the sheep will come. That's the way sheep relate to the shepherd in Jesus' story. They're not wrestled, they're not barked at, they're not bitten, they're not driven with anger, they're called. And when they hear the shepherd call them by name, they come because they recognize his voice. You know what this is like, right? Um, last weekend I was in country Victoria um, caring for and, and supporting my uncle who's really sick, he's in hospital and part of my responsibility while I was there was to look after his dog um, I was happy to do that mostly uh, the dog, his name's Rebel and he is about this big um, he's a rescue greyhound um, big, big dog um, and it, it kind of just barked at me a lot like, it barked at me as if I had in me all the evil powers of the world at my disposal. It was kind of frightening. And so it became really clear that when it was time for Rebel to go for a walk, I'm like, Mum, he's all yours. You know, um, didn't really want me. But when I'd call for Rebel, right, I'd call him, come out, mate, come out. It's time to kind of do your doggy business out the back, come out. I mean, I was saying it as well with a very nice, gentle tone, come on, Rebel. Come on, time to go out. Whatever Rebel understood, he would look at me and go, mate, you're not the person who should tell me what to do. You are not my master. I don't trust you one iota. I don't think, he didn't, he's not a talking dog, right? But that's pretty much what he's saying. And he's probably right. And you know that if you have a dog or perhaps some other animal, they know who you are, they know what you are like, they understood and understand the sound of your voice. And so it is with the good shepherd, the sheep know his voice. Now here Jesus is speaking of his immediate context, right, and speaking to those who he has called to himself, his disciples, but all the commentators understand that here is an appropriate application for our own lives and the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. For God calls not only there, but he continues to call sinners to himself today. And I wonder, do you know? Have you heard? Do you recognize the voice of Jesus? It's one of the great mysteries of preaching, I reckon. It's one of the things that the preacher, no matter how much he studies or how good he is, 
You cannot manufacture it, only pray for it. And you can pray for it. You know that moment in a sermon where it doesn't be, it's not just a talk anymore, it's not just a lecture or a person up the front explaining something about the ancient world, but mysteriously and undeniably, Jesus is speaking to you. And the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And it no longer becomes just fine-sounding words or well-constructed phrases. It no longer becomes how many minutes do we have to go. But Jesus is speaking. And you listen. Do you ever have that when you hear the preaching of God's word? Do you ever have that when you're reading the scriptures? Jesus is speaking. I hear his voice. Pray for it. And this morning, do you hear him calling? Do you hear him calling? I've always thought that this hymn was a little bit saccharine and sound a bit sappy. But when you picture Jesus, the good shepherd, calling his sheep, calling them out by name, this becomes one of my favourite hymns. I'm going to try and sing it for you. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's watching and waiting, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, Calling, O sinner, come home. Do you hear him calling? Do you picture the shepherd calling the sheep? You're in danger. You're wandering. You're far away from my protection, from my food, from my green pastures. Come home. Come home. The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know their shepherd. It's the most important element of this story. Jesus is hinting strongly here of his own messianic identity. He is the long-awaited shepherd, and he is calling sinners to come home. Will you come home? And we'll see next week when we get to verse 11, where he states unequivocally, I am the good shepherd. But this is steeped in Old Testament prophetic language. Most, most plainly, it's a reference to Ezekiel chapter 34, where the Lord gives a word of rebuke to the leaders of Israel and a word of promise about a better shepherd to come. Here he says in Ezekiel 34, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of only of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. A little bit later, he says this, I, this is the Lord speaking, I will save my flock. They will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so here comes Jesus, the son of David. He's the shepherd that Ezekiel announced to replace all the false shepherds who were looking only for their care and for their comfort. And he will be the anointed one to tend God's people. And so from this New Testament moment onward, the ultimate defining characteristic of a true sheep is one thing. They follow Jesus. That's what determines whether you're a sheep or whether you're a goat. But now Ezekiel says there is one shepherd, not kings, prophets and priests, but one prophet, priest and king. If you're a true sheep, you hear the voice of your one true shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Let me just add a little parenthesis here about the importance then of like the one shepherd and those who serve as under shepherds under that one shepherd. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, I think it's on the screen, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, being examples to the flock, and then the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 
your elders here at City Light Church North Adelaide. They do many different things, wear a whole different bunch of hats, but fundamentally they are this, we are this, that they, we, are to be shepherds. And our great model is Jesus, the chief shepherd. And if you listen to Ezekiel 34, you get a pretty good picture of what bad shepherds look like. What would it look like to have bad pastors, bad elders here at City Light Church, North Adelaide? Well, they wouldn't strengthen the weak. Never visit the sick. Never bind up the injured. They'd never bring back the strays. They would never search for the lost. They would rule harshly and brutally. They would never warn of danger. They would care for themselves at the expense of the flock. They would feed themselves on the flesh of the flock. Those are bad shepherds. And conversely, we see what it means to be a good shepherd and by what God's grace I think we have here at our church. But what should you pray for? How should you pray for elders and pastors? Yeah, there are lots of things that elders do and pastors do here at our church. Um, Go to meetings, sit on committees, do vision and strategic stuff. That's all really, really important. But here, the great call, the singular summons upon the life of an elder is to care for the sheep, to know the sheep, to protect the sheep, to look after the sheep. And I hope when you think of your elders, your pastors, I feel like I'm talking about myself, (laughs) when you look at me or look at Phil and Sam, I hope that you look at us And see, not just people appointed to run stuff, but people appointed by God to care for you, to lead you, to protect you, to warn you, to guide you, to know you. And my prayer is that God would stir up many more men to be committed, faithful under-shepherds. For on the last day, our good shepherd will hold us accountable for the flock here at City Light Church North Adelaide. And to be honest, like, I have no desire to see more people come to our church and fill our pews unless we have people raised up in order to care for the people that are sitting in our pews. So let's pray for that. Christ is our example and our guide and our chief shepherd. That's the first big theme, Jesus as our shepherd. More quickly, the second theme, which is Jesus as the gate for the sheep. He's the shepherd for the sheep. He's also the gate. I think this is probably one of the weirdest I am statements that Jesus rolls out. I am the gate. Like, that's pretty odd, right? You know, Try that one the next time you have an evangelistic conversation with someone. Do you want to meet Jesus? He's a gate. Here you go. Anyway... That's to say, like Jesus says, I am the way in and there is no other. If you want to be counted among God's people, if you want to be included in God's flock, you must enter by me, says Jesus. Now, I think Jesus might have been thinking here about Genesis chapter 28 and you're going, yeah, I know Genesis chapter 28. Maybe not, but Genesis chapter 28 is where Jacob, there we go, Jacob is having a dream at Bethel and he says, upon wakening from that dream at Bethel, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? There is no other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jesus is that gate. He is the entry point. He is the portal into the kingdom of God. Or, I don't know, this is a bit of a theory. You can chat about this over a Perryman's pie later at the park. Um, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus has in mind, as he says, I am the gate, if he's thinking Exodus 12. And you're going, of course he's thinking about Exodus 12. We've already seen, right, that John, the Gospel of John, is loaded with Exodus imagery, right? You have Jesus as the manna from heaven. You have Jesus as the light, the pillar of fire in the desert. And you have water from a rock. So here, I wonder if Jesus is alluding to the Passover, when he thinks about being the gate. Remember the Passover, um, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. God says, I'm going to get you out of here. You're going to exit towards the promised land. The way you're going to do that is I'm going to send this angel of death to pass through the land. But if you shelter under the blood of a lamb, the angel of death will pass over you and you will be spared from destruction. God's people were saved in the Exodus by blood and a door 
or blood in a gate. Might Jesus have this imagery in mind? It would certainly fit with all the Exodus imagery. I'm the Passover door, says Jesus. Only when you enter through me, the gate that is, my life, my blood shed for you, will you be safe from the angel of destruction. Whatever he has in mind from the Old Testament, the meaning is clear. I am the entryway. You cannot enter into the sheepfold by any other means. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you trust in Jesus. This was scandalous, right? This is scandalous. Always will be scandalous. To say the only way to be counted among God's people is to enter through faith in Christ. We don't like that very much, right? Why? Because we like options. Do you like options? We like options. You ever been to the supermarket? Like, we like options. Um, I went to the supermarket the other day to buy a bag of chips, right? I went to buy a bag of chips. I saw, I, I saw potato chips this week advertised in big letters, now with less salt. Who wants those chips? Who wants those? I, I know some people have heart conditions, you know, low sodium and di diets, but really, that's not why you get chips. Now with less salt. Just buy potatoes if that's what you want. I mean, come on. Somebody wants them. Somebody will buy them. And I, you know, the other day as well, I'm like, I'm standing there as well, and I finally got some chips. Then I saw the, like, the, the corn chip section, like tortillas. There are like 12 different kinds of chips you can buy. Like corn chips. That's, for me, that's like 12 different meals. You know, kids, what are we having tonight? That, what are we having to do tonight? Nachos with this chip. What are we having tomorrow night? Nachos with this chip. Like so many options. We like options. We, we wouldn't know what to do without options. So when it comes to religion, when it comes to salvation, right, we want options. Options, salvation, yeah. Options, God's people. They've got to be options. Only one. There's only one begotten son. There's only one shepherd for the sheep. There's only one name given among men by whom we must be saved. Jesus Christ. We like options, right? The grace of God is that he gives us even one. You know, we like to think that the path is very wide, leads to life, and that road leads to God in a very broad way. Sure, maybe there's a hell, but you've got to be very, very bad to get into hell. Like hell is for Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and, not to be controversial, maybe Vladimir Putin, I don't know, but you know, like you've got to be really bad to get into hell. You've got to really mess up. Most of us, we're just good people. You've got to really mess up to end up in there. We think the road is wide and broad on the way to the kingdom and the road to hell, really very narrow. You've really got to really work hard to mess up your life to end up in that particular place. It doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road. And many find it. No. Perhaps if you're here this morning and you've found the small gate and you're on the narrow road, perhaps you're listening to the voice of Jesus. It's amazing what Jesus says here. All who came before me. He's thinking of false teachers, messianic pretenders. He's not thinking of Abraham, Moses, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. But he's saying all these, these false teachers, they were thieves, they're, they're robbers. Strong language, right? We don't even use that language for thieves and robbers anymore, right? We'd say someone has a possession problem, someone's had a tough life, and they're a little bit delinquent. We don't use that strong language, but Jesus here uses this language not even talking about out-and-out -out criminals. He's referencing good, upstanding, moral teachers. Because these good, moral, intelligent teachers fall and fail on one fundamental account. They do not use the door. So this is now Jesus' definition of spiritual thieves and robbers. Anyone who does not use the door and does not point you to the door is a thief and a robber. 
If you try to lead the sheep, drive the sheep, move the sheep without going through the one gate, you're a sheep hustler. It doesn't matter what your personality is like or your academic credentials or your good intentions or your humanitarian spirit or the number of people who follow you. If you don't go through the door, you're a thief. This is a tremendously extravagant claim that Jesus is making. Here's what Jesus is saying, in effect. Every religious leader that comes along and does not lead people through me, direct people to me, and bring glory to me is a bandit, is a ruffian. And then look with me as we come to an end. Look with me at verse 10. Don't forget verse 10. Jesus is not just simply asserting his authority to lead the sheep, though he has every right to have the authority to lead the sheep. He's a prophetic fulfillment of all that they were waiting for. No, not only that, he has the best interest of the sheep at heart. This is what you have to remember. If you struggle, I don't know, this morning with the uniqueness of Christ or you have friends and family members who say, well, I just, I just don't like the idea that there's only one saviour, you say to them, yes, but he can save even you. There are so many so-called saviours. That's absolutely true. But there is only one saviour who can really save. There's only one saviour who can give you real life. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yes, Christianity is a narrow door cannot sneak into the pen any old way we want. And yes, there are fences, right? We cannot roam anywhere we like, ethically or theologically, wherever we want to go. But God did not make a narrow door. He did not make a high fence in order to steal our joy, but to make it full. Brothers and sisters, listen. The devil's lie from the beginning of time has been this. Don't trust God. Don't trust him because you know what? He's got rules. He's got commands. He wants to hem you in. He's got all these secrets that he doesn't want you to know. He wants to, like, he's got rules and commands and he wants to hem you in. He keeps good stuff from you. I just want to say that is a lie from the very depths of hell. God's rules, God's commands are to protect us precisely because he wants what's best for us. Imagine if you would for a minute. Imagine you and your family, uh, you go on this, you're given this magnificent holiday, right? This amazing holiday on some exotic island. And better than that, um, you, you, this island is you sitting up on top of this beautiful precipice and you're looking out over here at the mountains, snow-capped mountains and the sun shining and over here's the ocean and it's just beautiful. And you, you've got this expanse, right? A, a football field long that way and a football field wide that way. But one of the problems is, right, right at the edge is this, like, the cliffs of Dover, if you know them. It just sort of goes straight down. It's dangerous, you know, we're out there. But you're on this island paradise. It's amazing, but there's danger. You walk over there, you die. Danger, danger, danger. But it's beauty and it's beautiful weather and best food and Best everything you can imagine. Now, what would you think, right, if someone put a fence around that particular area? Would you think that person hated you? Trying to keep me from things. Yeah, like dying. The fence is to protect your joy, our joy. The boundaries are not to keep us from the abundant life, but to ensure we have abundant life. There's one door to enter into his sheep pen, and it's narrow. It's a narrow door. But when you get there, oh my goodness, the joy that you experience when you're there. It isn't that Christianity is an easy life. I think often following Jesus makes life harder. But it's the best life. It's the good life. It's the only life where we can know peace, where we can have our conscience at rest, and where we can know that life after death is real, we will live forever and ever. All of the fence and the gate 
is to ensure our joy. Because the shepherd desires not simply to give us enough, but to give us plenty. Do you believe that? We talked during the week about Jesus being the light of the world, studied in GG perhaps that the man who was born blind, who by God's grace had his sight restored, we talk here fairly often about the problem of pain and I know some of us here in the, in the building are in an intense season of pain right now. don't want to mitigate that. We don't want to pretend that pain and challenge is not real. But can you believe that Jesus is your good shepherd? I think it's not too hard to believe that he's the Messiah. Yep, doesn't cost me too much. Maybe we can believe that he's the Son of God. He's the Word made flesh. All right, he's divine. I get that. Maybe you can even believe that he is the only way into the kingdom, that he is the gate for the sheep. Surely, yeah, sure, he's the only way. But will you believe that he is the Good Shepherd? That Jesus is your Good Shepherd? And that all that he has you going through right now, that season of prosperity, this season maybe of adversity, that all he's got you going through right now, it's actually for your good and for your joy. That he wants you not to have less, but to have more. More of life that is truly life. He's a good shepherd. He's our good shepherd. Let's pray together. I thought this morning that as we pray, we might pray the words that are on the screen together as one flock under our one good shepherd. So will you join me as we pray together and then we'll sing. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for sending us your Son, the Lord Jesus, who takes care of us. We thank you that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We don't like the rod on our back, but we need it. We don't like the staff to pull us back from our wandering, but we need it. For we know that you want to lead us in green pastures, not picked over barren paddocks. You want us to rest by still waters, not in the desert. And so we pray that you would lead, you would protect, you would guide, and with the help of the Spirit, we would follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.